Good morning. <laughs> it's good to be in his presence, isn't it? Yeah. It was great to enjoy his presence this morning in worship. Um, thank you to the worship band and for all of us for joining in and you know, being a congregation together and enjoying God's presence. And that's what Psalm 23 is all about. It's all about enjoying God's presence. So as we look into the psalm today, as we engage with it, let's continue in God's presence. We're not turning off the worship now and doing something else. Let's continue enjoying his presence and learning more about what it is to enjoy his presence. Uh, Catherine did a, a good job a couple of weeks ago just introducing the psalms to us and talking about the way that God is an emotional God. God is even more emotional than we are, more purely emotional than we are and wants to engage with us on an emotional level. And that's why he put so much poetry in the Bible, because it speaks to us on an emotional level. Um, Psalm 23 addresses some really fundamental emotions, you know, things that we experience in day-to-day life. It deals with desire and satisfaction. It deals with tiredness and refreshment. It deals with lostness or anxiety and guidance. And it deals with fear and security. Some pretty fundamental and major things that we wrestle with in our lives, right? And God wants to talk to us about those things. God wants to engage with us about those things. That's good news, isn't it? Good. Psalm 23, we find 23 comes between 1 and 41, right? So it comes in the first of the five collections of Psalms in the book of Psalms. Now that collection of Psalms, the first of the five collections, is generally understood to be dealing with um, the early life of David. Uh, that period in Israel covering the early life of David from the time that he was anointed as the next ruler of Israel but wasn't yet the king through into the, the early years of his kingship which are the golden years of Israel. It's often referred to as the golden years of Israel, the golden years of the old covenant because God finally seemed to be um, fulfilling all of the promises that he had made to his people starting with Abraham and going on. He'd just about fulfilled the promise to give them the land. They'd pretty much taken it all. Um, he'd just about fulfilled the promise to destroy all of his people's enemies. Almost. <laughs> they were almost completely defeated. Um, he'd just about almost completely obliterated idolatry in the land. And he'd just about finished setting up a, a home for himself in Jerusalem, in the city that he was going to show them. So all of these promises that he'd made to his people finally seemed to be being fulfilled. It was a great time. That's why they called it the Golden Age of Israel. And this psalm that we're looking at today is like a snapshot into that golden age of Israel. Uh, We're going to hear specifically what David experienced during that time, Uh, what he experienced of the presence of God and how he enjoyed the blessings of being in the presence of God. And then we're going to go on to apply that to ourselves as well. Now, Charles Spurgeon, who was a great Victorian preacher, uh, he described Psalm 23 as the pearl of the Psalms. You think of a pearl, you know, small Very simple, but perfect in its smallness and its simplicity is perfect. You'd never look at a a, a pearl and think, oh, it's just missing something, would you? (laughs) A pearl in its smallness and in its simplicity is perfect and beautiful, and that's just like what this psalm is. Um, So let's go ahead. I'll read the psalm, and then we'll go ahead through the psalm bit by bit. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. Um, so we see David using two images to describe his experience of what it's like to be in God's presence. He uses this image of shepherd and his sheep. So David is the sheep of God who is the shepherd. And then he uses this image of God as the host and David as a guest uh, in, the, in, the, in the house of God or in the dwelling place of God, enjoying his hospitality. And the two images basically say the same thing. That's what we're going to see. But he just repeats it with these two different poetic images that stress slightly different aspects. Um, now, Michelle and I have had the privilege over the last 10 years or so, the, the majority of the last 10 years, living among a people group called, in their sort of code of conduct, if you like, the best two things that you can do, the most virtuous things that you can do, are to be a shepherd and to be a host. <laughs> so they have taught us a lot. Just living among them has taught us a lot about this psalm and about just appreciating the depth of this psalm. And because, of course, David is using images and metaphors that were really familiar and meaningful to the people that he was talking to, you know, the Israelites of his time. They're a bit strange to us, and so we need to dig a bit deeper and try a bit harder to get to what David is talking about here. Um, but I want to just hopefully share with you a little bit about what I've learned um, and what they've taught me about this psalm. So we'll go through bit by bit, not quite verse by verse, but bit by bit. Starting with, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I don't know if you've got Bibles in front of you or if you're reading or whatnot, but you'll probably notice in most of your translations where it says, Lord, that's in capital letters. Right, and you prob- most of you probably know what that means. It's a it's a replacement in the Hebrew, in which language this was originally written. It would actually say Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd. Um, that's one of the most common names that we find for God in the Old Testament. It's the name that God revealed to Moses when He was revealing Himself to His covenant people, establishing His covenant with them. Lots of people knew that there was a high God. But God said to Moses, my name is Yahweh, and I want you to call me Yahweh. That was like the, the, friend, the friendly name, the covenantal, the relational name that God gave his people. Um, Dr. Blakey, would you stand up, please? <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. You can sit down again. <laughs> Do you see? I can refer to this guy as Dr. Blakey. And I honor him by doing so, and you know, it's honorific, and it, it draws attention to his accomplishments and his title and his role, or his ex-role. <laughs> he did some good work with, with birds and bees and you know, nature things, um, and was awarded with this title for doing it. Um, but I, I know this guy more commonly as Jeremy, because he's my friend. Um, it would be totally appropriate for David to refer to God as the Lord, and honor him in that way. But here David chooses to use his name, Yahweh. And it means something like, I am who I am, or I will be what I will be. It expresses God's self-sufficiency. God doesn't need anything from anyone else. God doesn't rely on anyone else. It's like David is saying, because the one who needs nothing is my shepherd, I also will not need anything. Everything I need will come from the one who needs nothing. I don't need to go looking to anyone else. He's my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. If you're a sheep, <laughs> green pastures are good news, right? If you're a sheep, green pastures are a feast. So David is talking about 
being led into this place of abundance, being led into this place of feeding, I think we're small enough that we can do a bit of um, audience participation this morning. If we do a word association game, all right, if I say the word hungry, fire out some, the first thought or feeling. Sorry? Oh, not everybody at the same time. I can't hear. One. Food. What's the experience of hunger like? Pain, unpleasant, aching, empty, good, dizzy. So that's the kind of thing when David is referring to hunger being satisfied in God. Those emotions that we're so familiar with, and all these words came out straight away because we're so familiar with this this feeling and sensation of being hungry in a spiritual sense as well as a physical sense. David is saying, God, my God leads me into places of provision for those needs. Um, Now sheep, sheep will not lie down unless everything is okay. Sheep will not lie down. They're very nervous animals. They will not lie down unless their their tummies are completely full and unless they feel completely safe and completely at ease. If there's any uncertainty, any nervousness, if they're still hungry, they won't lie down. So David is talking about this shepherd bringing his sheep into a place of such abundant provision and protection and comfort that they feel totally at ease. They're totally satisfied. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Um, uh, I've often seen shepherds leading sheep up to water for a drink. And I've seen that shepherds always bring them to still water. Because what happens if you bring them up to moving water is the ones at the front get pushed in and swept away. (laughs) Still water is the place that you want to bring your sheep to. And of course, it's just an image of refreshment. Let's do the word association game again. Thirst. Water, dry, parched, tired, weary. You know, you know what thirst feels like, right? We don't have to describe it to each other. David is saying, my shepherd leads me into places of refreshment. He says that in the, in the next little say, um, saying there, doesn't he? He refreshes my soul. In some translations, he restores my soul. There's that image of refreshment. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. One more time. Lost. Frightened, wandering, uncertain, anxious. But the shepherd guides his sheep. That's David's experience. He's describing his real day-to-day experience with God. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why would a good shepherd take his sheep into a dark and dangerous place? Doesn't make sense, does it? (laughs) Or does it? I mean... Surely a good shepherd would just stay in the green pasture. That's kind of what happens in our country because the pasture just stays green all year round, right? In Israel and in the places we live in Africa, that's not what happens. The reason you have shepherds is because you have to keep moving the animals around to find fresh grass. And they they quickly deplete the grass that you put them on and then they need to move to another place. The way it happens in Israel was that in the wintertime they'd be on the lowlands enjoying the pasture on the lowlands. By the time spring comes and it starts warming up again, that grass is pretty much depleted. So they've got to take the sheep up onto the highlands where the grass has been growing through the winter and where it's now warm enough. And to get from the lowlands to the highlands, you've got to go up through the valleys, right? Now, goats are good climbers, but sheep are really bad climbers. Sheep will fall, break their legs, hurt themselves. It's a dangerous time to bring the sheep from the lowlands up to the highlands, but it has to happen because there just isn't provision left for them anymore in the lowlands. I want to just 
pause on this thought for a, a little while because I think this is really key to a lot of you know, what we were engaging with in the worship. You know, so often we kind of have that experience of thinking about the old days, you know. Why can't it be like the old days? Remember those green pastures, you know. And I'm sure we can all think of examples for ourselves. Those green pastures we used to enjoy. Why can't we be back there? Why couldn't we have stayed there? Well, we know our good shepherd knows the green pasture was for a time. But then the green pasture runs out and if you stay there, you die. He's got to bring you to another green pasture. And he only takes you through the darkest valley to get you to the next pasture. He's not just narcissistic, you know, punishing the sheep. Wants to see them suffer. He's bringing them through to the new pasture that he has in mind for them. Of course, the sheep have no idea where they're going. But the shepherd knows where they're going. Because we're living among these shepherds and trying to reach out to them. I decided to try and, you know, reach out to them and engage with them and uh, associate with them in a bit of a better way by buying a couple of sheep and you know, in some way kind of becoming a shepherd and I kept them in my yard and they would eat the grass in my yard and um, to begin with they were frightened of me and they would run away whenever I came near them but after a couple of months they would start coming to me whenever they saw me because they knew oh this is the guy that feeds us this is the guy that brings us water this is the guy that protects us and trims our hooves and all of that sort of stuff and so they would start coming to me but they always stayed in my yard um, now after a few months uh, the grass in my yard was pretty much eaten down. It got to the end of the rainy season, so it wasn't growing anymore. But I had a colleague in town, on the other side of town, who had been away for a few months, and his yard was all overgrown. So I decided, right, I'll take my sheep over to his house and just leave them in there for a few days in his yard and lock them in, and I'll come every day and give them water and grain and, and look after them that way. So uh, I tied leashes around their necks and got ready to, thinking I was going to have to drag them across town, which is what you often see people doing with sheep there. Um, as soon as I opened the gate and came out, I found the leashes were slack because these sheep were stuck to me like glue. And I was tripping over them. I had to kind of be quite forceful, you know, barge my way past them and push them aside so that I could walk. But they were sticking to me like glue because they were in unfamiliar surroundings. And there were cars going by and people that they didn't recognize. And they were just sticking to me like glue until we got to our destination. And I'll never forget as we were walking along, there were people on each side of the street stopping and staring and calling their friends to come and look and pointing, look. These are, okay, shepherding is the best thing you can do among the feet. Look at the white guy. He's a shepherd. We've never seen a white shepherd before. I mean, how could they tell that I was a shepherd? Because they saw the sheep, right? They saw what the sheep were doing. And my standing in the community skyrocketed that day because this white guy is a shepherd. We've never seen this before. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So here we have the second image. Basically saying the same thing, okay? God preparing a table before us, before David, in the presence of his enemies. Um, I need some enemies. Can you four on the front row stand up, please? Okay, you're my enemies. You can stay over there, not too close. And I'll, I'll be David. Right, I've been doing some self-defense training, right? And the first, one of the most important lessons you learn is... When you've got multiple attackers, stay on your feet. Because if you go down to the ground, you're pretty much finished. You must stay on your feet at all, at all costs. But when David says, the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Where's the table? It's down here. And he says, okay, sit down and, sit down and enjoy this feast in the presence of these enemies who are menacing and shaking their fists at me. <laughs> okay, you can sit down. Thank you. Um, but you see, the, the next little bit is key to that because it says, he anoints my head with oil. Now you know that, um, well perhaps you don't know, but in, um, in this culture, in the time of David, 
When a person was an honored guest in someone else's home, the host would mark that person out as the honored guest by anointing their head with oil. That's a way of saying to everybody else, this is my special guest. And so God, in anointing David's head with oil in the presence of his enemies, is like saying, this is my special guest. You mess with him and you mess with me. He's under my protection. He's under my roof. Okay, so there's that image of protection at the same time as provision, just like we saw with the sheep. And again, just this image of the cup flowing over. What an image of refreshment. There's no limit to the amount of water that he wants to drink or wine that he wants to drink. This full refreshment, abundant refreshment. And so David's conclusion at the end of all this, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of Yahweh forever, I should say. Um, this is his conclusion to the experiences that he's been describing. Now this last little bit, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that's based on the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Greek version of the Psalms. Go back a bit further to the Hebrew version, the original language And it doesn't sound quite so much like a final destination. It doesn't sound quite so much like David is saying, one day I'm going to get to heaven and stay there. In the Hebrew, actually, he's referring to an ongoing thing. He's actually saying, "Um, surely I will regularly come into the presence of God for long periods of time. Okay, so he's not saying it's really hard now, but one day I'm going to get to heaven and stay there. He's saying, surely I've experienced such faithfulness and such regularity and such commitment in God's blessings to me as I'm with him, surely I will always be welcome in his presence. Surely this is never going to end. It's like, I'm experiencing this now and it's going to go on forever. Here's David's certainty there. Okay. Now, we need to do another little bit of a mental exercise. Imagine yourself as an Israelite at the time of David, hearing this psalm being sung by the Levites in the temple hearing this description of David's experience of God and the covenant relationship that he has with God. Um, Was this the normal experience of God's people? Was this the normal experience of the Israelites? The answer would have to be no. (laughs) This was not the experience of your, your, your average Israelite, you know, your Josiah blogs or whatever he was called, you know. The average Israelite did not experience this direct connection with God, this direct leading from God. David did. David was one of the special ones, one of the anointed ones that we find right through the Old Testament, the ones who were called out specially and anointed to to live closely with God and in turn then to be the shepherds of Israel. So that the people, the Israelites, would would experience God's shepherding via these shepherds that God put in place. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Psalm 77 verse 20 says, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Okay, so Moses and Aaron are these shepherds who experienced God's fellowship and in turn were then to pass that on to the people. Uh, in Numbers twenty-seven seventeen, it says of Joshua, who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. And then finally, and supremely in the Old Testament of David in Psalm seventy-eight seventy-two, with upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Okay, so the Old Testament model was not that God directly shepherded all of his people. God chose key people. He shepherded them with the expectation that they would shepherd the people. Sounds like a good idea, right? The problem was it didn't work. The problem was the shepherds always failed. David is kind of held up in the Old Testament as the supreme example of what it is to be a shepherd over God's people. But he failed. He did some good things. He led the people pretty well. 
He was as good as it ever got, actually, in the Old Testament. You know, everything in the Old Testament narrative leads up to David. And then everything after David in the Old Testament narrative pretty much kind of tumbles away from David and holds David up still as the supreme example that nobody else quite got to after him. So there's this repeated story, repeated over and over and over again of God establishing a shepherd over the people and the shepherd kind of does a bit of good stuff and then fails again, over and over and over and over again. You get toward the end of the Old Testament and Ezekiel prophesies all about this. Uh, In chapter 34, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherd of Israel who only, the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not the shepherds take care of their flocks? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. And that's the story of the Old Testament. God pronouncing judgment on these shepherds that are failing left, right and center. He finishes off this prophecy in verses 15 and 16 of Ezekiel 34. Having called the situation what it is, God says this, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So that's the story at the end of the Old Covenant, the end of the Old Testament. There's this deep disappointment with this repeated failure Repeated over and over again. And yet there's this underlying promise. God has promised he himself will come. He himself will come and shepherd his people. He himself will come and host his people in his land. Move on into the New Testament. Into the Gospels. And it's the same story basically. We're told that Jesus saw the people, the Jews. And he pitied them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Lost. Hungry, thirsty, vulnerable. You can just imagine the longing of people like Simeon in the temple. You were told that he was longing for the day of the Lord. He was longing for that promise to be fulfilled. Finally, God, come and be our shepherd. Come and be our host. And then one day Jesus stands up on a hillside and he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know my voice. And I lay down my life for my sheep. And another day, again up on a hillside, he, he tells thousands of people, sit down on the grass. Lie down in green pastures, if you will. Sit down on the grass. And he feeds them by the thousands till they're so full there's leftovers they can't eat it all. And he heals their diseases and he casts out their demons. He sets them free and ultimately he breaks the power of sin and death over his people. Finally, finally, the good shepherd has come. Finally, God himself has come and shepherded his people. Finally, God himself has come and he's hosted his people. But it didn't end on the cross. Look at the book of Revelation. And we'll find this snapshot of the very end of all things. Well, the end of this time anyway. Jesus is still being described as the shepherd and the host. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He's still the shepherd. He hasn't stopped. Blessed are those who, invite, who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. Blessed are those who are guests in the house of God under his hospitality. Jesus did not fail. 
David failed, Moses failed, the judges failed, all the later kings failed, they all failed, Ezra failed, Nehemiah failed. They all did some good stuff, but ultimately they all failed. But Jesus did not fail. And he will never fail. He sealed his victory, it's done. And so he's the one, he's the good shepherd who can lead us into God's presence where we can enjoy the covenantal blessings of being in his presence. Do you ever feel hungry or dissatisfied? <laughs> well, come to Jesus and follow him and he'll satisfy you. He'll fill you up. <laughs> Do you ever feel thirsty and worn out? <laughs> yes. Follow Jesus and he'll restore you. He'll refresh you. Do you ever feel lost or anxious? Yes, me too. <laughs> Come to Jesus, follow him, and he'll show you the way. Do you ever feel afraid, vulnerable, threatened by things outside of your control, overwhelmed? Well, Come to Jesus and follow him because he'll protect you. And many of us here can testify to that, just like David could testify to a lifetime of that and say, surely this will never end. Many of us here can testify to that. And if you've never experienced that, you can choose to have that today. You can come to him and follow him. And you can have that today. Don't leave here without doing that. It would be silly. <laughs> but we have such a certainty in our shepherd, such a certainty in our host, that we can say with David, surely we will always live in the house of God. Surely we can always come into his presence. Okay, we're just going to finish off um, this little song, sort of sung version of Psalm 23 I'd like us just to listen to. Um, let's just, it's about three minutes long. Let's just take some time to be silent and just reflect on what we've been hearing and ask yourself, search your soul, is there any area in which I am dissatisfied or tired out or anxious or fearful, allow God to show those things to you and just, just give them to him and state your trust to him. up my head 